It's our WWE SummerSlam 2021 review show and the triumphant return of CM Punk on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. Yes, much like in life and this show, the timing of everything just can't be on point because, of course, we had to have the return of CM Punk the day after our last week's show was recorded. And, of course, there's this, you know, big pay-per-view going on. No, no, no. They had to be in the same week. So we have to cover them both. It's the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. It's Boss Ross of the J-Man. And uh, I've got some things to say about CM Punk's return as he's now been on two shows. I'm sure Jorge will also have his thoughts as well. Plus, there are some other news things that we need to get to. Plus, there were a bunch of returns that happened at SummerSlam, which took place in Las Vegas. And of course... I'm going to have my moment of impact as well, because damn it, there was a pay-per-view also. Oh, and yeah, and we also have NXT news we have to get to. We have a ton to get through, so I'm going to stop wasting everybody's time monologuing because I normally do that at the beginning of the show. So I say all of that. J-Man, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, brother. Uh, It's good to see you. And uh, it was an insane week. We had four of the biggest uh, returns in professional wrestling history happened all within a 24-hour time span, and it was absolute. Actually, it's a lie. 48-hour time span, and it was glorious. I loved it. So as I, as I said just a moment ago, we have a lot to cover, and we have a lot to talk about. So basically, you can find this show at wabamentertainment.com. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all the rest. That's the double turn under podcasts and uh yeah if you're looking for our wrestling content you can find it there with all of our shows um so come check us out tell a friend don't tell a friend who cares i mean i care j-man cares we care about this show a lot but uh yeah if you love it you want to check out more of it do so so the long rumored possible return of phil brooks also known as CM Punk, was rumored for weeks, months to be happening, not for WWE, not for any other company, but for all elite wrestling. And they happened to be doing a show in his hometown. He opened the show. He was wearing a shirt that looked very similar to his WWE shirt. There were ice cream bars made. He cut a promo in the ring. He talked about a few things. And then he also showed up on Rampage and talked some more things. And I guess I'm going to be polite. 
his return is very polarizing. And what I'm saying is that he's back and that in itself is exciting. However, the reasoning he's back, the way that he's back, and the timing of him being back is not 100% accepted. I'll put it that way. So I know that uh, fanboy over here wants a lot to talk about Mr. Phil Brooks. So I'm going to let him gush for a couple of minutes about, you know, the savior of pro wrestling and see uh, how much of a uh, how much of a god this guy is coming back here for all elite. So go ahead and take over. I'll let you gush for a little bit, which, by the way, I say all of this. I'm happy he's back. Okay. I'll get to my detractions because that's who I am. But I'll let you gush for a moment about the return of CM Punk. Yo, Mr. Chick Magna himself, Mr. Chicago made the voice of the voiceless, the best in the world, Mr. Clobbering time himself. Like, come on, man. Yo, <sighs> I definitely, I definitely had tears well up. And I'm not, I know that sounds, oh my God, or he really, like, just give me a second. Okay. This type of stuff is not the type of stuff that happens every single day. When he left seven years ago, he made it very clear that he was just not mentally and emotionally there anymore. And he made it clear that he perhaps may not be mentally and emotionally there anymore to get him to come back in Chicago. And by the way, that pop was utterly insane. And if, if, by the way, audience, I, I'd like for you to excuse me. My boys are with me in my office this evening and they're just playing in the background. And if you hear random noise, it is that I'm so sorry. But at the same time, they wanted to spend time with their dad and I'll take that any day of the week. So my apologies for that. That all being said, um, when you get a guy to come back seven years in the making and have him come back in his hometown. And by the way, that pop would have been crazy anywhere else. That pop would have been even crazier and it would have been even crazy in the, in the Cajun dome for God's sake. Um, it was inc incredibly glorious. Uh, Ross did hit the nail on the head. It was, it is polarizing. It is because CM Punk is now entrenched himself as perhaps, and I'm one, and I want to be, I want to put this lightly, but at the same time, I'm not. I think that he is officially perhaps the biggest star in all elite wrestling. No offense to Kenny Omega and no offense to Chris Jericho. But when you come in with that much fanfare and when you've had that much of a legacy and a resume behind you, like he does, and a lot of people are waiting for this moment, I think it's warranted. Um, it was a beautiful moment. Um, I think the whole entire wrestling world was looking upon Chicago on Friday night for a variety of, for that exact reason. And um, I will tell you this, I'm going to look at it at, I'm going to look at this as a positive because rampage eclipsed 1 million viewers. I think it's the second most viewed AEW show of all time on television. And what's really insane. And what's really crazy is that SmackDown still had two and a half million. So when you think about the fact that there was over 3 million people that watched SmackDown and Rampage on a Friday night at respective different times, and when you look at the fact that the two different videos popped up by All Elite Wrestling about CM Punk's return, 
each currently have right now over 2 million views each. That tells me over nearly 5 million people watch pro wrestling on a Friday night when they could have been doing something else. And that is insanity. And that is a win for professional wrestling in every imagination and in every category. And I think that we should be ecstatic that he's back and look at it with a grain of salt at the same time. But at the same time, be appreciative that one of the best of his generation decided to go ahead and give it a whirl one more time. And I can't wait. I can't wait for a week and a half from now. So coming up in a week and a half from now is uh, All Out, which is taking place also in Chicago. Yes. Accurate, but just not at United Center. Well, yeah, because the United Center is like really expensive to rent out. Right. Um, and by the way, that was that was it was really expensive. But Ross, it was worth it. No, look, it's fine. It's just, you know, you 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 pick and choose how you spend your money. That's all. Of course. And, yeah. And and that's fine. They they I'm, I'm not saying they made a mistake. I'm saying they're doing a TV show in Chicago and then they're doing a pay-per-view two weeks later in the same town. That's all. Um, He did mention a very specific name. That big Darby Allen, who uh, is hanging out with Sting these days. And um, last I checked, he was a babyface. Yes? Uh, correct. Okay. So problem number one is you have CM Punk, who is loved and adored because he's back in a wrestling rig for the first time in seven years. And he is a what, Jorge? He is a babyface. Okay, so we already have a problem that it's a babyface, babyface match. Well, Russ, we don't have faces and heels. Everybody's gray. I'm sorry. That's that's already a problem. Mm. And okay, so you're telling me that uh, Darby Allen's just going to lose? Does he have a bug because it's his first match in? I would think so. So that's a problem. Here's something else. And actually, I can't believe I'm going to say this. But uh, wasn't it Booker T that publicly said that, like, he didn't really say anything of substance in either of his promos? Uh, I, you know what? I didn't hear that. I okay. didn't read it. So if you read that, uh, I'll take your word for it. All right. So basically, the argument is that he came out and didn't really say anything. Well, I mean, I'll disagree with you right off the top of the bat. Not, excuse me. Not disagree with you. I'll disagree with Booker T. I mean... You can say he can say all he wants that he didn't say anything of substance. But for me, for him to tell us as a cumulative wrestling uh, community that he's back, that's all he really needed to say to okay. me personally. And, you know, I, oh, I I'll, oh, I'll, okay. go ahead. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Sure. Hold on. Okay. But here's the thing he's been back. He already returned on a WWE talk show. Yeah, but that was different. But it's not different. Okay, go ahead. Okay. He left. Okay. Now, regardless of what you think, okay, whether you think he quit, the WWE pushed him out, or if they're both at fault, I happen to be in the in the camp of that bridge was burned and they're both at fault. Okay. I am not picking sides because I think they're both at fault because most relationships, when they fail, most of them, both sides are to blame. Not always, but usually. So, 
what I will say is this. Okay, he's back. He's wrestling. Yes, that's different than him showing up on a WWE talk show. And it's also different from that year that he spent basically talking about how pissed off he was after leaving WWE. And then he spent a bunch more time talking and bashing WWE, which again, that's fine. Okay. And then that's what I was worried about when he went on the WWE talk show is he was just going to just complain about how bad the product is. And now he's wrestling for their competition. So to me, he didn't go out and say, well, the company I used to work for sucked. And this one's automatically better because they don't suck. And there's all these people I want to work with, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's fine. And I also understand that him coming out and cutting a promo saying I'm back and leaving would not be worth all the buildup. I understand that. So there has to be a happy medium. All I'm saying is this. If Punk comes back and is a quality member of the roster, and makes a difference within the product and outside promoting the product. This will work. Here's the other thing that I will say. Okay. I am not saying I, I wholeheartedly believe this, but I'm telling you, this is how some people think. And I don't care that they're the minority. They still matter in this case. Okay. He's been gone for seven years. Seven he left during his prime. Okay. So there are some people that haven't watched wrestling since he left. That's fact. In fact, the fact that the numbers are about as stagnant as they've been over the last seven years prove that he's part of an audience that has been lost. I will agree with you. It's not the whole reason, but there are some people that said, ah, it's not cool again. I'm leaving. And now some of those people are going to come back. There are also some people that are like, uh, why didn't you come back five years ago? Why didn't you, you know, what took you so long? And quite frankly, and I know this is going to sound harsh and I know people are going to disagree with me. This is not exactly how I think. I'm simply saying this is a valid opinion. Why should anybody care that a guy came back after seven years of being off? I know what your answer is going to be. Well, Stone Cold Steve Austin quit, and well, The Rock left, and well, Hogan left, and well, all these other people left. You're right. They did. You're right. And guess what? CM Punk is none of those guys. He isn't. Sorry if that upsets people that CM Punk is not The Rock. So, I mean, he, he, he's not The Rock to you, and... But, uh, to be fair, he's not the rock to me either. And we all know how much I love CM Punk, but then at the same time, we all know how much I love and adore the rock and how he's my favorite superstar of all time. But some people do view him on that level, Ross. And so uh, not that, not to go ahead and push back on you, but I do want to say that some people do view him on that level. And to be fair, I could understand why, I mean, what he did in 2011, um, I'm not going to say it shattered glass ceilings, but it it definitely caused a movement which kind of has put us in the place where we're at now with the way that we view a lot of wrestlers. Would you not say? Okay, so 
if we're saying that he pushed the envelope and changed the business for how certain types of wrestlers are mm-hmm. considered in the wrestling business, there's no question. If you're saying he's put us in the position where all these years later, we have a bunch of smaller guys who do a bunch of cool stuff, but can't tell any story. That's a problem. Fair, fair, but there, there, but CM Punk was a smaller guy who could go in the ring and tell a story. So uh, to me, I view it as we, without CM Punk, we don't have Kenny Omega. We don't have Daniel Bryan. We don't have Tom, uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano. We don't have, um, who is another guy that I think works incredibly well and can tell a story. We don't have Adam Cole. We don't have what became Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in NXT. And I say NXT very specifically, and you know the reason why. Mm-hmm. So th- those guys can work. And, and it's funny, I say Kenny, uh, Kevin Owens. I mean, Kevin Owens is the bigger of those guys, of course. But we, but, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, we definitely don't get Samoa Joe in NXT without CM Punk. I'll just be completely clear. If CM Punk didn't exist... I don't think WWE ever really takes the look and the glance at Samoa Joe the way that they should have. And yes, Ross, I'm going to say it. And I know that you might throw a fit and I understand that, but without CM Punk, we don't have what eventually became the greatness. That is AJ Styles. I'm just saying, I think, and I think that's a valid point. Okay. I'll make a valid point for you. Go ahead. Uh, Okay. How about the other small guys that came before CM Punk that paved the way for him and a bunch of those other guys to get where they are? And they absolutely deserve all the credit in the world. Chris Jericho deserves all the credit in the world. I'm just and he saying. Does. And because no, of that, no, he's in my no, top 10 it's, it's, of all time. Look, and I'm not saying you're making this argument, but there's the argument of, well, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan paved the way for the small guys. No. Sorry. That's revisionist history. It just is. You know who else wasn't the biggest guy in the world? And I don't care that this isn't fair because he's Olympic gold medalist who won the gold medal with a broken freaking neck. Kurt Angle was six feet tall, not a big guy. Yeah, but two, but he was also like 230, 235. Okay. Good, you know, but, but I understand where you're coming. I do understand where you're coming from, by the way. And that I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you the Kurt Angle rub. I'll give it to you. Okay. I'm not going to go ahead. And, okay. Um, how about how about a guy like Chris Benoit? Yes, him and Eddie. Yes, without mm-hmm. Eddie or without Eddie and Chris and without Dean and you know, without without Ray, without Ray, you you don't get punk. And that's fine. I'm just talking about this new generation of guys that we're looking at now that we consider mm-hmm. the best on the planet. You don't have them without punk. You know, so he was this happy medium of for the longest time, you know, we lost Eddie, we lost Chris, and there was and then we got Ray, but Ray never got treated anywhere near as seriously as he should have, especially during the 2006 World Heavyweight title ring. We both know that. And then Punk comes in and he starts to mold himself and he starts to become a little bit of a big thing. And, you know, he's got the liking and admiration of Paul Heyman and Paul Heyman's getting pushed back from everybody else. And Paul Heyman knows what the hell he's talking about and blah, blah, blah. And then boom, 2009. Or, well, 2008, he wins Money in the Bank. 2009, he wins Money in the Bank once more because they messed up the 2008 one. 2010, l- slow. 2011, an explosion of a lifetime. So it, you, you can view the CM Punk thing however you want to, but uh, I'll say it. And by the way, I do love Roman Reigns. Let me be very clear. Um, and 
he is the needle mover. Like Roman Reigns is the needle mover in pro wrestling right now. And there, I don't think that's a, I don't think that should be disputed, but I will say that CM Punk is a pretty big needle mover himself right now, or at least in the time being, the question will be, and I think that this is a fair question and I will go ahead and do this as a criticism. It, and as an, a lover of CM Punk, by the way, that's not saying Ross doesn't love CM Punk. He does. But I think it's a, I think it's a question that both of us are allowed to question it. And it's will CM Punk be a needle mover for seven to eight months from now? You know, will the nostalgia wear off in the next six or seven months after he's back? Is he going to be anywhere near as good as he was back in 2014? We don't know. We will find out in a week and a half. And by the way, that's one match against a guy who's really, really good and who's really young. You can't work with that guy forever. And there's a lot more dudes on that roster that he's going to have to go up against and play with. You know, guys like Kenny, guys like the Bucks, guys like Cody, guys like Black, guys like Mox, Jericho, MJF. You know, a lot of guys, Miro, uh, Lance Archer. I can go on and on. There's a lot of guys that Punk is going to have to learn how to play with. And if he can work with a vast majority of those guys, then then there's going to be zero issue and Punk's going to keep moving that meat needle and people are going to absolutely want him and need him to stay in the, main event, in the main event scene. But if he can't go anymore, which is could be entirely possible, I doubt it, but it could be possible, we might have another thing coming. And I'm just I'm just calling it like I see it. And I think Ross will agree with me on that. So let me ask you a question and then we'll we'll hop off of it. Sure. Um so first match back. Mm-hmm. You you want to see CM Punk look good. Of course. Okay. I happen to also want a match that tells a good story. Yeah. And if I'm accepting the fact that CM Punk is going to be a babyface, which is totally fine, then guess what? I need him to be in a match with a good worker who's a heel. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that I think that going with Darby was the wrong move. I think that um, I, I do honestly think that this might set up Darby to lose a lot of momentum that he's done a really good job with gaining. Um, you know, I gave a critique to Orange Cassidy a few months ago. He had a massive feud with Chris Jericho. And where the hell is Orange Cassidy right now? Where he's is an, he? He's another dude. He's another dude on the roster. You know how unfortunate it is for me to say that? Like, you know how much it pains me to say that? It pains me a bunch, man. And but you know, you know what? Go ahead. But you know what? Mm-hmm. How many guys at AEW can we say that about? A lot. It's kind of a problem with the wrestling business, isn't it? It, it, it is. There's, it is. There's a lot of guys that are just dudes on the roster right but what i'm saying is and not to go ahead and be, make this about orange cassie i just wanted to use him as an example darby allen is gaining a sick uh, just a sick amount of momentum right now uh, I, even though i said that hanging out with sting isn't doing him that many favors it's still doing him some favors he's still well regarded on the roster right i i would protect him I would protect him. I would have protected him. I don't think putting him with the in the punk match was the was the best move. I would have there's there's so many other people that you could, and I understand that it's CM Punk you wanted to have you wanted to have him have a big match. That's all fair and completely fine. But boy howdy. And 
this could work for him, but at, and at the same time, you'd be able to squash him at the same time. You know who's a guy that you've basically relegated down lower on the card and then you continuously push just to push him back down again? Sean Spears. Sean Spears is the type of guy that just loses so much that people expect him to lose. But that's the whole point. You need, you need to feed somebody to see him punk right now. Mm-hmm. Right? And Sean Spears is a heel. Sean Spears can work. Sean Spears is highly regarded more now than he was a year and a half ago because of his association with the pinnacle. Like that would be huge. You know, you kind of get that, you know, Tully's with them. MJF is with them. And I understand that clearly they're fighting. They're, 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 they're feuding, excuse me, with them, with the inner circle. And it wouldn't have necessarily worked because you've got him doing other things. I think he was just actually having a match with Sammy Guevara not too long ago. So I, I can totally understand that, but just bear with, I'm just talking about using people that could feed off the momentum of a CM Punk and yet have them lose realistically. Not using somebody that's as big as Darby Allen right now in your company and feeding him to CM Punk. I don't view that fair to to Darby. And it's not fair to Punk either because you're not going to have Punk lose. Like you better not have Punk lose. Like that would be a, that would be stupid booking, really dumb booking. See, Malachi Black beating Cody Rhodes, that's fine. That makes sense. Cody's already established. Cody, we know, is the face of the is one of the faces of the franchise. And he's there wanting to purposely put over. Cody hasn't how many feuds has Cody won in his in, in, since AEW started, Ross? Off the top of my head, two. He won the Sean Spears feud, and he won the um uh the Brody Lee feud. May may God rest his soul. Those are the only two feuds that that Cody, off the top of my head, has won. He 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 lost with um he lost with Chris. Uh, he lost his feud with MJF. Um, he's cl- clearly losing this feud with with Black. But we know where Cody's stance is in the company. That's never going to be you know questioned. Darby is still trying to make him you know put himself up on the pedestal here, and he's almost there. And to have him. Lose to Punk would be the wrong move. And then Punk's the arguably the biggest star in the promotion right now. And having him lose in his first match back in seven years would be dumb. Like, I don't know about you, Ross. Let's use the Rock Cena example. And then we'll, I promise you we'll end it. I promise you we'll end it. But I want to ask you, Rock came back after seven years. Would it have been a good idea for Rock and Cena to lose at Survivor Series to Morrison and, and, and R-Truth? Or excuse me, to Miz and R Truth, and don't say that. Oh well, it's Miz and R Truth. Just answer that question. Would that would that have been the right call? Yes or no? No, right? Okay. So let me ask you this: as the follow up, Rock Cena won at twenty eight. Had Cena beaten Rock after seven years, would that have been the right move? Yes or no? Repeat the question. Uh, had Cena beaten Rock at twenty eight? Would that have been the right move for that story? Well, there is the argument that says that, yes, it would have been. But I understand that that's not the story they were telling. So there is a story where that makes sense. Yeah, No, you're right. You're right. Especially if Cena would have turned heel, especially if Cena would have turned heel. That would have been great. Um, 
I guess that was the wrong comparison. Maybe the Rock Cena comparison from 28 was the wrong comparison, but I think that the 2011 Survivor Series tag team match was the right one, and you weren't going to have Rock and Cena lose that tag team match. It was would have been the stupidest thing on earth. There's too much momentum. It's too much rattling of the cage and rattling of the ratings that says wrestling is back, and you cannot, cannot mess that up. So... They put they kind of, unfortunately AEW has booked themselves into a bit of a corner, but let's see how they can get out of it. Let's see what they do with Darby. Let's see what they do with Punk. Let's see how good the match is. Let's see if Punk can still hang. But I can tell you this: pro wrestling and is it professional wrestling as a whole and all elite wrestling as a whole right now is in a very good spot to where they were um, a week ago. And by the way. It's not like they were in a bad spot a week ago. So that is the return of CM Punk. We will see where that goes from there. Again, he has already showed up on two shows. His first batch is against Darby Allen at All Out. Uh, that should be, if nothing else, an entertaining match. I don't know what story they're going to tell. And it's babyface, babyface. I have my reservations. That being said, we have a pay-per-view to get to. And boy, howdy. <clears throat> It's going to be a remembered one for a while. I have not decided if it's going to go down as the best pay-per-view of 2021. I have not decided that yet because it's recency bias. I don't know if there's going to be another pay-per-view for the rest of this year that, that, that tops it. So I'd have to look back to see what other pay-per-views would be in the conversation. But um, this was this was a mostly really good pay-per-view. Um, there, there were some low spots, but there were, let's put it this way. The good stuff was really good. Really good. And the bad stuff was pretty bad. Like not, okay, I shouldn't say there wasn't anything embarrassing on the show because there was. But... I think this is going to go down as a pivotal point for where this company goes leading into WrestleMania season, which pretty much makes it a good show as long as they have a plan, which WWE at least 70% of the time has a plan. Even if it sucks, they at least stick with it and just go with it until they literally can't do it anymore. So also a quick note, I wanted to mention this in case nobody had heard Uh, Pat McAfee is going to be off television for two weeks. He got COVID despite being vaccinated. Yeah, that's rough, man. I'm not making a statement. I'm just simply stating that's that's the report. He's off TV. Um, have they decided what they're going to do with Michael Cole's sidekick? Because I know there was a rumor going around that they were possibly going to have it be Triple H. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, remember when Triple H was color commentating at the beginning of the pandemic last year, he did a really good job. Um, That would be a lot of fun if that was the case. Um, I haven't seen what's going to happen yet. I will obviously find out tomorrow, which is today, if you're um, if if you're listening to us on Friday, Um, you know, or who knows? I mean, we all know how good Corey Graves is with Michael Cole. So you might want maybe you'll think about having him pull double duty in the meanwhile, while McAfee you know gets healthy again mm. um but I don't know we'll have to wait and see it sucks it sucks man you know COVID is I hate it and uh Pat McAfee has been just firing on all cylinders 
to be fair. And he was tremendous. He was tremendous at SummerSlam, you know, and Michael Cole has been really good with Pat McAfee on his side for the last few months. I'll agree. And, you know, I'll agree. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I do. I am sure that both myself and Ross, we wish uh, Pat McAfee a very speedy recovery, of course. Uh, that's the most important thing. And uh, we'll see who replaces him over the next couple of weeks. If it is Triple H, I'm all for it. If it's Corey Graves, I'm all for it. And uh, see, this is why you don't let go of Tom Phillips, damn it. This is why you don't let go of Tom Phillips. And I'm just going to say that. So uh, this pay-per-view took place in Las Vegas, or I should say Paradise, Nevada. At Allegiant Stadium, home of the Las Vegas Raiders, um, 51,000 plus was at this event. Pretty cool to see that many people at a wrestling event again. Pretty cool. Um, especially with everything going on. It's, it's, just, it's just cool to see wrestling fans in a big building like that. It's I just, agree. It's just cool. And by the way, um, Money in the Bank next year taking place in the exact same place. Yes. For Fourth of July weekend. That's going to be fire. So we had 11 matches on this show. 11. Now, in fairness, a um, couple of things. One, there was a pre-show match that was not listed. So we will talk about it briefly, but we did not preview and predict it. Um, there was also a change to one of the title matches, which we will get to. And I think that's it. It didn't really affect much of anything because it just didn't. Uh, in fact, if one of us had picked some of the things that happened on this show, um, uh, yeah, I would think there'd be some like back to the future, like trickery going on where like you could see the future and win a bunch of money um that being said the pre-show match was Big E versus baron corbin now the money in the briefcase the money in the bank briefcase was not on the line but the storyline was that baron corbin stole biggie's briefcase also they were cutting vignettes about how baron corbin's luck had turned around while being in vegas glorious absolutely tremendous like all those skits watch them all the all the stuff he was posting on instagram watch them it's really good character development now i have a bad feeling that they're gonna you know do the obvious thing which is he's gonna lose all of his money again and we're gonna go right back to where he was because we're still doing this whole redemption arc with him but uh but this was kind of a nice little pre-show match there was a little bit of a story in there which again I don't need a pre-show match to be, you know, a symphony. Okay. I just need it to make sense, which this was what it was. Biggie beat him in six and a half minutes. And uh, I guess he took back possession of the briefcase, whatever that may be. Again, there was no stipulation for the briefcase being on the line. It was just one of those things of uh, he stole it. He got it back. And uh, I'm not going to say there was a tease of a possible cash in. At this show, but Biggie was overly happy to get his break to get his breakfast. Yes, I'm sure he got his breakfast of pancakes too. That were oh, thank you. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel bad for anybody that had to deal with pancakes being thrown at them after that was shoved in his leotard. This is true. Or by the way, cereal. 
you know, remember there was a new day cereal back in the day. I anyway. So Biggie wins. Great. He's done some weird things with the briefcase that were rather lewd, but that's okay. It is what it is. Uh, still don't know what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense for him to go to Raw because I don't see him cashing it on Roman Reigns. But again, as long as the story is being told well, that's fine. Were you able to watch this match? Um, I wasn't uh, because when okay. I got home, uh, I think I show I actually showed up just at the end of the tag team title match. Okay. Um, and I was so busy Saturday and Sunday, I didn't get a chance to go ahead and watch this sh- this match or the um, or Alexa Bliss versus Eva Marie, which I didn't really care for. To be complete. And by the way, this is not me saying that I am not a fan of Alexa Bliss or Eva Marie. On the contrary, I am a fan of Alexa Bliss, and I appreciate what Eva Marie is doing, especially on Monday night. Clearly, that was the angle. That was the whole purpose. This is what I'm talking about, guys. Mm-hmm. Eva Marie knows her role. Sorry, I don't mean to get carried away. I just don't really, I don't feel that we need to talk about that match. Alexa Bliss won. Uh, that was the right call. You and I both called that. Do you have mm-hmm. any thoughts? Well, we're gonna to get to it here in a second because it oh, was wow. not the it was not the opening contest. Okay, I mean, I just really could care less to talk about it. But I know. Okay, no, <laughs> let's we'll talk get about there. the opening contest. No, we'll get there. We'll All get right. there. We go in order on this show, Jorge. I know, buddy. I know, but it's just like bleh. especially when your boy takes back his two match lead in the pay per view rankings because RK Bro brought it home. And won the tag team titles as they yeah. took down AJ and Amos to win the Raw tag team titles in a seven-minute tag team match. I'm I'm gonna be honest. I'm a little surprised you didn't pick RK Bro because I told you, I, I told you that this was gonna happen. I know, I know. Let me tell you something right now, okay? There are two things that I did wrong at this pay-per-view uh-huh. and I'm willing to admit it right now. Uh-huh. One, I should have gone with my gut. I should have picked Damian priest and uh-huh. knew that he was going to have the momentum that I literally was just talking about last week. I should have uh-huh. said that I should have uh-huh. just done it. And we, I wouldn't be in the situation, whatever I move on with my life. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I will no longer be paying attention to the tag team division on raw for the remainder of the, <laughs> Until Vince McMahon has decided to relinquish the reins of WWE. I refuse. I'm sick of it. I'm done. I, 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 I can't take it anymore. I hate it. And I picked AJ Onomas because I was like, hey, just let it marinate a little longer. Just let it marinate a little longer. And then the pop's going to be huge. And then it'll be well worth the wait. But no. WWE just decided to, I'm not going to get vulgar. I'm not going to be vulgar tonight. I'm not Ross. So I'm not going to say what I really want to say. It was fine. They wanted to go ahead and put the titles on RK pro fine. Have a plan. Let's see what the plan is. Is it that riddles going to go ahead and take another RKO? Ooh, let's see it again. Hey, Randy, bro. I brought you a scooter, bro. Shut the F up forever, please. Someone's a little salty, but that's okay because we've stepped one step closer 
him being stuck watching WCW 2000 Nitros, and that makes me happy. Honestly, that's not even the that's not even what makes me mad the most. But yes, does that irritate the hell out of me a little bit? It really does. Just all I know now. I did not watch this live. I watched it on Sunday at my leisure. Um, and I got a text from Jorge on Saturday saying, I hate tag team wrestling. And as soon as he said that, I was like, RK bro won the titles, didn't they? I, mean, I do. I, I, I do. Here, This is why I hate RK. This is why I hate tag team wrestling right now. And it's not because I have a beef with Randy Orton or the riddle. That's the riddle is an entirely different subject for an entirely different day. I don't have, I, I clearly don't have a beef with Omos and with AJ Styles, whom I still think is the best wrestler in the world today. Um, and I love the Usos. I've been saying that the Usos are, were the best tag team on the planet for a decade. Um, and I've now changed my tune for obvious reasons. When the only legitimate thing, in tag team wrestling right now is a pair of brothers who I can't stand as hu- as as characters sometimes, not as human beings. I'm sure they're very nice guys, but as characters, if that's the only legitimate thing happening in tag team wrestling right now, then tag team wrestling is just sick. It's sick to its stomach and not in a good way. And that's very frustrating for me to say. And I know what we could say is, Oh, well, the Usos are tag champs. Aren't you happy about that? Well, yeah, of course I am. But the only reason why they're being taken seriously and the only reason why that title reign is somewhat relevant is because they're associated with the biggest act in pro wrestling right now. That's the only reason. If they weren't doing the Bloodline story, nobody would give three craps whether or not Jay and Jimmy were tag team champions again. I'm I'm dead serious. And this is coming from me who loves the Usos and who loves Dominic and Ray. I'm... You can tell by my voice, I'm really frustrated over all of this. Yeah, I've just become apathetic because I've known this to be the case for like the last, actually for the better part of like a decade. Yes, no, I I know that. And I know too, Ross, and you know that, but I've been optimistic. But at some point you just reach, I, I hit a wall and I'm like, nah, man. I can't do this anymore. And by the way, it's not just WWE. Like tag team wrestling all over the world right now is to me, just at just at a standstill. Hell, it's even kind of becoming stagnant over in AEW. Like, I'd love to see whether or not the jungle that Jurassic Express actually has a real shot at being Nick and Matt next, whenever it is that they have their match. I think it's going to be at all out. I would really love to see if that's the case. And if they don't, and by the way, this is not anything against the Bucks. I just need something happening. I need some sizzle, and I'm not getting that sizzle right now. And now you understand why I vehemently said to enjoy the North while we still had them. And now we don't have them. And it's, and, and, and again, teams like the North, the bar, stuff like that. And again, I know the, the first, the first time we got the bar, it was two guys in a single feud that were in a best of seven series that had a that had a draw that put them together because then they would both be facing or they would be teamed up for a championship opportunity it was ill-conceived now did it work hell yes it did because we got one of the best hey it still worked though yeah i know but i just i remember having these conversations with you um because it was happening as just as we become friends and we're like yo are we sure we like this and it worked but you're right. It did work. And, that, and by the way, I just want it to be known that I'm not taking the shot at the Bucks. I, I, I want that to be very clear. 
it's not the Bucks' fault that, you know, tag team wrestling all over the world is down right now. You know, for all I can say about the greatness of the tag team division in AEW, it's still stagnant because just, I don't know, man. You know, the best tag, the second best tag team in that entire division is not even challenging them for a title. We never even got a damn rematch. We haven't even gotten a rematch between the Bucks and FTR. Do you know how frustrating that is? Well, FTR has also had their own problems, but yes. Yes. No, no, I, I agree. And I'm just, I agree. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, Cash Wheeler is dealing with his just cut up arm and they're in this program with proud and powerful. And again, I'm hoping that Jurassic Express can really be that umph that I need in order to go ahead and be able to enjoy this Bucks reign. Um, even by the way, that's even if the Bucks win, I just want to be able to go ahead and appreciate it in some form or fashion, but it's just stagnant. And WWE is just making like MSK is not even doing anything on NXT for God's sake. I know. Jeez, man. I'm sorry. I, I went on a tangent, not even meaning to, I took, I took away your time. Please go over this match. I'm so sorry. No, no. Basically all you need to know is that, uh, if there were shenanigans and, uh, hilariousness that, from you know RK Bros tag team, it happened in this match, and uh, yeah, AJ Styles got pinned, and, which unfortunately uh, makes sense. No, I understand. It just you know it yeah. it is what it is. So uh, so we have new tag champions, and uh, I knew it was coming. That's all there is to it. Here is what I will say about the next match: Alexa Bliss did beat Eva Marie in just under four minutes. They did an angle on Raw. They had a perfect chance for Dewdrop to be no more. And then Piper Niven doubled down and said, nope, this is who she is. I hate this angle. Almost as much as I hate that creepy doll or that gimmick or anything else. Yeah, but at least Dewdrop and even Marie, it looks like it's going to be something that actually makes sense. Can we can we can we just have it be Piper Niven? Yes. No, I, I agree with you on that. I, I, okay. I think Dewdrop okay. is just a crappy name, but at least the angle is exactly what it's supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to hate Eva Marie. We're you know supposed what? to like Dewdrop. You know what? You know what? You know what Dewdrop reminds me of? I can't believe I'm saying this. Dewdrop reminds me of a less respectable version of Damian Sandow as the stunt double. That's that's actually that's disrespectful to Damian Sandow. But okay. Oh, no. Okay. No, look. <laughs> The, the original incarnation of that character was for him to be an idiot. Yes, you're right. You're okay. Right. So yeah. naming somebody who's a legitimate competitor, Dewdrop already labels them as completely illegitimate. That's, I agree. I understand where you're coming that's from. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying this is going to work as well as the mm-hmm. stunt double got over. What I'm saying is you're already setting this person up to fail by their name. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the, the difference is that Dewdrop's not Samian Sandow and that Eva Marie is talented as she is. She's not She's not the Miz. Um, but I guess you're right, and we'll have to go ahead and see how it plays out. But you're right. She doesn't have a head start with the name. Uh, you know, you say that it reminds you of a terrible version of Damian Sandow's stunt double version. Dewdrop just reminds me of poop, and that's not good. You know, I, I tell you what, tell you what, we'll we'll get you signed to a contract and uh, your rig name is going to be uh, your rig name is going to be Jay McGillicuddy. Have fun with that. Oh, wait, they already did that. OK, enough. Actually, it was Michael McGillicuddy. Thanks, Curtis Axel. 
uh, our our next contest was for the United States Championship. It was mm. Sheamus defending his championship against Damien Priest. Okay. I don't think this is controversial for me to say. I really don't. I said it on the previewed prediction show, and I stick to my word. I still think Damien Priest got basically nothing out of the Bad Bunny stuff. And I'm sorry, it's still the United States Championship, which means Jack. Tell you what, tell you what. Tell tell me the mid-card title that actually matters in pro wrestling. I'll wait. The NXT North American Championship. <laughs> okay. So you're telling me that I'm a kidding, belt. Ross. I'm kidding. You're telling me that a belt mm-hmm. on a show that's basically about to be rebranded is the most important. That's a problem. I know. I know. Well, hold on. How about I let you finish what you need to say about Damian Priest, and then I'll hop in. How about All that? Right. Now, this match was given almost 14 minutes. This was the third longest match on the show. Now, I will be fair. This was a fight. Two different styles. Uh, they were basically treated as equals. And... Damian Priest won with his move. I can't really be upset with it. Like, it's pretty much the bare bones basics of what I like in a match that doesn't have a whole lot of story to it. So if it's a good fight, it's believable. They're seen as equals and a guy wins with this finisher. How can I complain about this? I can't. So Damian Priest won with his move in his purple gear. Whatever. Again, it's a mid-card title that nobody cares about, but sure, he won. It was good though. It was a good fight. It was a nice uh it was a nice change of pace on this show. Up to this point, probably the best thing on the show. I'll agree Up with you on this that. Point. I'll agree but, with you. I mean, that. I mean, given what was before it, not really high praise, but yeah. up to this well, point, I mean, best thing on the show. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not like the crowd popped when RK Bro won. Let's be real. Like, I, you know, for all my intents and purposes and for my frustrations, the crowd wanted that outcome and they got that outcome. So that's fine. But from a quality perspective, yeah, this absolutely was one of the better things on the show. And it was the best thing on the show up until that point. Um, you know, I, I did myself a favor. Ross. And over the weekend while I was working, I, um, I went back into the archives of us. Right. And, uh, I listened to a couple of our old shows, which, you know, I miss when we used to do them live. Let me just be real. Right. Um, not that I say, not that I don't love it when I'm, we zoom, but you know, it's just not the same And we know that, you know, but, uh, I was listening back to our, uh, War Games and Survivor Series 2019 review show, which we had the absolute pleasure of doing with our boy Gerard from Through the Table. You remember that? Um, He was our second guest. It was right before Thanksgiving. And I was listening to him talk and I was listening to you talk on that show. And there were a particular couple of things that you both stated, which to me have not aged that well in almost two years. One of them was... um, private party being more over than uh than the street profits which at the time you were right and now where where is private party i i don't know they might be in private holding a party that nobody's going to um 
And then the other thing was, I remember Gerard saying in particular that he thought Damian Priest was trash. Now, two years later, I'm here to tell you, Gerard was wrong, very wrong. Damian Priest is not trash. And then I'm going to go ahead and let you know, I disagree with you saying that him teaming up with Bad Bunny over the spring did nothing for him. Because again, I'll reiterate what I stated to you on the preview and predictions show. The situation with The Miz just kind of halted him because of Miz getting hurt and them having to cut that angle a little short. But he's gained that momentum back. He's getting stronger as a character. And I think that him going over on Saturdays, even though I, I, I called it wrong, both you and I did, from a, from a storyline standpoint and from a character development standpoint, it was probably the right move because this allows Damian Priest to continue to grow as a strong babyface. And I would hope that he can gain some continuous momentum. And by the way, that momentum that he gained on Saturday night absolutely came into play on Monday night on the beginning of, of Raw. They didn't do much with it, but it absolutely did. And I think that the crowd re- reacted to it strongly, regardless of what you say. Um, and so I'll disagree with you. I think that him having the United States title will be beneficial to him. And I think that because they have a character who they're behind in creative, it will give them the opportunity to perhaps book this United States title a little bit stronger than normal. That, and by the way, let me go back and let me thank Seamus for doing an excellent job over this summer, because I think that he did a really strong job with the United States championship. It's not like he you know, made it mean nothing, but he defended it in quality matches. He got over as a heel. He's always been over as a heel. He's always been a strong character. Sheamus is the man. I love Sheamus. You love Sheamus. And so I'm not going to disper- dis- no, disregard his contribution to this title over the, over the summer. And I think that by him doing what he did with it, it made it mean a little bit more than it has in a while when Damian Priest won on Saturday. That's what I'll say. And yes, it was a very good match. I enjoyed it. It was strong. It was physical. They beat the snot out of each other. They're both six foot four plus 280 each. And uh, they went for it all. And I, and I have to commend them for that. So Damian Priest is your new United States champion. Our next match was the Usos defending their SmackDown Tag Team Championships against the Mysterios as uh, the Mysterios had won the belts, and then did they lose them? How quickly did they lose those belts? Uh, they lost them at, at Money in the Bank. So about just a little over a month. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, I, I said this before, that I was fine with the Mysterios winning the titles because it's a chance of a lifetime father and son being the tag team champions you don't pass on that um the usos winning the belts makes sense especially for the storyline and uh it made sense for them to uh retain here this match was roughly about 11 minutes i didn't think it was anything you know spectacular um obviously i was not expecting a 20 minute match um but for the 10 minutes it was given or the 11 minutes it was given it was okay um this match probably could have just taken place on smackdown and i probably would have been okay with it but i understand it's SummerSlam. they tend to get a lot of these matches jammed in on the card so the usos retain i'm happy with it uh i don't know what the plan is next 
but it makes sense for the storyline, so I'm good with it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think it was a little bit better than okay. I'm not going to say it was great, but I thought it was good. I thought that they did a really good job with the 10 to 11 minutes that they were given. Um, I will continue to say this more and more, and I think you've come to agree with me. Dominic is just getting really strong in the ring. Uh, every single outing that he's going out there, I think he's exponentially improved. And to me, he uh, he was already pretty. He, I mean, he's, when he debuted, it's been a year, by the way. So congratulations, to Dominic. SummerSlam was his debut match, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. And look at where how far he's come with in regards to his talent, and as he continues to hone it. Um, and I wish him the best because I I, I I'm truly coming becoming a fan. Um, but you know, his dad is one of the greatest of all time. And then the people that they were in the ring with are one of the greatest tag teams we've ever seen. So of course, yeah, I know, you know, take it how you want to. He was in the ring with great talent, but still he never looked outclassed. And I think that's really important. Um, in regards to the story. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I stated at the top when we began our SummerSlam review, the Usos, by association with the biggest act in professional wrestling are absolutely on a different level than any other tag team in the locker room. Right. Um, I don't know who's going to challenge them next. I really don't. I can think of one team, but they really haven't done much over the last few months, but we haven't seen a match between them. And I think it would be cool to finally see it at some point. And let's see if, uh, if they can go ahead and deliver the goods when they do it. Um, but right now, you know, Jimmy and Jay, you know, for all the DUIs are doing their best and uh, holding, you know, you know, holding on tight to Roman's uh, coattails, um, but not in a bad way. Just the bloodline is a terrific angle. It's a terrific group. Um, I liked it back in 2016 and I love it now. I think it's it's great, and uh, I, I look forward to continuously seeing good tag team wrestling and good tag team storytelling from Jimmy and Jay. So the Usos retain their SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The next match on the card, which I'm not going to get into a whole lot of details because there were conflicting reports for the last two weeks. The match was supposed to be Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. There was a report two weeks ago that said that there's a high probability that uh, Sasha Banks was going to be missing in action. Uh, they had not one, but two scheduled events on TV that were canceled, and yet they were still advertising this match. Uh, turns out Sasha Banks was not going to appear on this show, which uh, that is the old subject or a card subject to change. So Bianca Belair comes out and no Sasha, which means they had a couple of choices. Either they were going to give her another opponent or they were just going to not have it happen and either quietly address it on SmackDown or quietly address it at the pay-per-view or have Bianca come out and cut a promo. They had a lot of options is my point. They decided to go with giving her a new opponent. That new opponent was supposed to be Carmella. So Carmella comes out. And then 
Well, we had another very, very, very big return to the company. Becky Lynch is back. Yay. I'm so happy. Vegas was happy. I'm sure Jorge was happy. I'm sure a lot of people were happy. Everybody knows I'm in the minority when it comes to Becky Lynch. And that's fine. I will die on that hill. So she came back. Uh, she beat up Carmella first, right? Yeah, she beat the hell out of her. <laughs> okay. Now. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be nice. Okay. So Becky comes out, beats up Carmella. Challenges Bianca Belair for the title. Now. There are two schools of thought here. There's either Bianca supposed to be a fighting champion and well, Becky just came off of being, you know, being pregnant and being out of the ring. So she's got all the confidence in the world. She can wrestle anybody. The other viewpoint is that Bianca Belair is one of those characters that even though she's a baby face, like pretty much every other aspect of her character is pretty much a heel anyway. So you could go, oh, yeah, stupid character taking on a challenger that she doesn't have to wrestle on that show. Yeah, she could just wait. And then the real payoff. The real payoff. Becky Lynch defeats Bianca Belair in 26 seconds to become the SmackDown Women's Championship. Not with the disarmor by the way. No, no, not with that move. No, no. You see, she was trying out a move for a while. And then she stopped doing it for a while. Oh, it's back. It is back. Because you see. Well, We can't just have her be compared to Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, no, that's not enough. Let's give her a move that mimics the rock. What's the move called, Jorge? Uh, The manhandle slam, if I'm not mistaken. The manhandle slam. It's it's basically, I mean, to me, it looked more bookend than rock bottom. But I mean, who's yeah, really counting the difference. Yeah. By know? the way, still doesn't matter. Bookend. Awesome move. Oh, I know. I love the bookend. I'm not that that wasn't a shot at the bookend. I'm just saying the way that it looked looked more bookend than actual rock bottom. But the whole yeah. point is it was basically a rock bottom. Or I mean, why can't she do an Urunagi? I love the Urunagi. I'd so. feel for somebody using Urunagi as a finisher. Well, there is the argument that Joe could use it as one. His is always nasty every yes. time he does it. And Bray kills with the Urunagi too. But yes, I agree. 1000%. Mm-hmm. Look, it's the same argument I make for uh, certain guys doing certain finishers. If it looks good, if it ain't. Bro- mm-hmm. Look, deep, uh, six. deep six is a great finisher. I don't know. Here's a move that apparently has like a black eye in wrestling. When's the last time somebody won with a choke slam? Yeah, that's a great point. 
That is a fantastic point. By the way, Bobby Lashley should be using the choke slam, which he does. But I think he should end a move and end a match with the choke slam because this choke slam is just vicious. No, look, uh, here's what I'm saying. Don't reinvent the wheel. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're so, right. so now the other part of this I want to say because again, given given what I've said. I, I think I've been very polite with my analysis thus far. Oh, and by the way, real quick, um, you know what? Raquel Gonzalez uses a version of a choke slam as her finisher. She does. You know what? You're right. Yeah, and You're it's right. sick. You're it right. Sick. And actually, doesn't Lance Archer use one too? Now that I think about it. Uh no 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 he does um doesn't he do like a rever- like a reverse razor's edge? I thought he also. Maybe it's just a transition move. For I think him. it's a transition anyway. move, but I do know. I, no, 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 no. Isn't it Luchasaurus? Luchasaurus does a choke slam, doesn't okay. he? Okay. You, you know who else actually used to do a pretty good choke slam, and he, and it's and it's never talked about because it literally was a transition move, but he was smooth with everything else he did. Scott Hall actually had a pretty good choke slam. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people forget Scott Hall's like six seven. But I mean, he could he could do it as kind of like a transition move to kind of, yeah. you know, bully somebody around anyway. True. And he'd do it with like kneeling down like the big show used to do it. Like he'd get down on his knees when he delivered it, yeah. which looks like it gives more impact. Yeah, it was really cool. I'm sorry, Ross. Carry on. I apologize. So the last thing I want to mention is that the way this was done. Are they telegraphing Becky Lynch is coming back as a heel? That's exactly what they're doing. Okay. So what is my criticism about character changes, Jorge? Actually have it mean something, change other aspects of the character in order to make it more believable. All right. What's the first thing I told you they should have done when Bailey turned heel? Change Change her her flipping music and change the way she looks. Mm -hmm. Now. Did they do that the first time they did that? No, it took them a little bit of time to do that. Yeah, it took them about a month. Okay. I had a problem with that. I know you did. If you're going to turn Becky Lynch heel, okay, two things have to happen. One, she's got to change her music. That's first. Actually, she's got to do three things. One, she's got to change her music. Two, she's got to change the way she looks with her gear. And I'm sorry, I don't care if this is unpopular. She's got to ditch the moniker. Okay, well, hold on for one second, because the music I'll give you, the music I'll give you, the gear and the moniker, that was when she originally turned heel in 2018 to begin with. Like, she changed her clothes into the clothes that she's wearing. Well, not not necessarily. She won the, she had the, the one piece. Okay. But the moniker, yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. How long between when she started calling herself the man to when her face got broken? Um, that was three months. Okay. As soon as her face got broken, she became a baby face officially. Well, Ross, actually, she was a baby face before that. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, she was a baby. She was because Rhonda was a baby face. Mm-hmm. And Becky was the cool heel, cool heel that we were all backing. I, I, I can attest to that because that was me, mm-hmm. even though I love Rhonda too, by the way. So if you're going to go this route and Becky's going to be a heel, you have to give her, 
You can't give her redeeming qualities. Well, Ross, there's no baby faces to heels. There's all gray. Yes, I will continue to say that's a problem. It's a problem. Because now what you're opening the door for is you're saying, well, if we turn them heel, people are going to think they're cool, and then we're going to cheer them. Sorry. That's not how it works. If you're like, well, it worked for the NWO. Okay. Are you really going to keep pointing back to the reference that, you know, started like this huge like wrestling war and almost in the process took wwe out of business yes it worked it's not gonna work for every situation you want it to just because you think it's cool it doesn't work that way i'll tell you give i'll give you a perfect example to back up your claim okay you know who's not a cool heel and it worked because she was not a cool heel bailey bailey's an annoying heel Okay. And guess what? I ended up loving the character. Why? Okay. Because okay. it was different. Okay, but okay, but here's the thing. Because this is a very this is a very key distinction I'm about to make. Okay. You can appreciate the character. You can love the work that goes into the character. But at the end of the day, you are not supposed to like that character. Yeah. Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin, I adore his character work because he actually gets heat. I know. That doesn't but, mean I cheer for him. Well, I mean, you cheered for him in King of the Ring. Okay. Come on now, Rossi Poo. You know you cheered. Okay. <laughs> who who did who, okay, but here's the thing though, right? Yeah. If it fits the character, mm-hmm. then it makes sense. Yeah, no, of course. Of course. I was just being facetious as well. So so it's it's a matter of okay. Given what this was, I'm supposed to feel okay. This is the tricky part. I'm supposed to feel bad for Bianca Belair. Mm-hmm. I really am. That's that's what they want you to think. Yeah. Okay. But here's the problem. And maybe this is their plan. And I don't like the plan, but maybe this is their plan. Maybe their plan is that they know that Bianca as a baby face has a shelf life because that character in its current incarnation is a natural heel. It just is. So if Becky's going to come back, this initial part of this feud, you know, people are going to cheer Becky when she comes back, which is whatever. So yeah, Bianca basically work heel. That way you can transition her into being a heel. And then you could somehow, and I know you're shaking your head, and that's fine. Because if your plan is to turn Becky Lynch heel, so far, fail. See, uh, that's okay. I'm going to let you finish. I don't want to be rude. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Because, again, if the plan is to have Becky Lynch turn heel, you need to have that character get as far away from fan support as possible as quickly as possible. So you do that by getting sympathy for Bianca Belair and basically making Becky Lynch have zero redeeming qualities. Yes, you were you had her turn, you had a return at SummerSlam. Everybody, everybody was gonna pop for it anyway. Fine. Now it's time to basically make Becky Lynch unlikable. 
and make people want to see her get her ass kicked. So if that's the plan, great. But knowing WWE like I do, they're going to milk this and then they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, she turned heel and everybody's going to be so shocked when unfortunately they're going to wait too long and the fans are going to reject it because they're lemmings and they're sheep. And they're not going to accept it. And now you've and now you've done a disservice to two different areas. So. Okay, I said this before, the Rhea Ripley experiment did not work. They have addressed that and they are pivoting. We'll get to that match in a second. I've not been super impressed with Bianca Belair. Obviously, they took the title off of her for a reason. So do I think Becky Lynch is going to hold the belt for the rest of the year? I don't know what their plan is. So I guess for me, I'm more of it a I'm more of it a wait and see area with this whole thing. I mean, I was never a fan of the gimmick. I'm really not a fan of her as a performer. And this whole thing seems very, hey, it's SummerSlam. Let's just have you come back now because it's SummerSlam. Yay. So I think I'm going to be polite and say I'm in a holding pattern on this one. It's not looking too good, but I'll be in a holding pattern. Um, I love Becky Lynch. Uh, I've said that numerous times on this podcast and I'll never stop saying it. I am a fan of the character. I am a fan of the performer, everything. Okay. Let me be very clear. I was not happy at the end of that match. I wasn't. I I have now come to that conclusion. I've had six days or excuse me, five days, Ross, to let that marinate, okay? I saw it. I popped for Becky. I was like, yes. And I was like, I'm down for Becky versus Bianca. I'm cool with that. I'm, I am. I'm interested to see how it goes. I'm cool with Becky turning heel. I am. I actually think that that is absolutely the right move because I think that Bianca – I, I've, I've come to like Bianca over the last uh, eight months. I have. And I think I've told you that. I've grown more and more. And what really changed for me was the, the Sasha match at Mania. And, yeah, there's been a couple of, you know, bumps along the road. And I made the comment last week on the preview and prediction show when I said Bianca needed Sasha and you took it as You shouldn't need to have a performer and I didn't get a chance to rebuttal. So I'm going to rebuttal now what I meant by that. And I kind of did rebuttal, but I'll go ahead and echo it one more time. That, that feud was not finished. It wasn't the fact that Bianca needs Sasha in order to be successful. It's just that feud was so big and it just kind of stopped. And I thought that it needing to finish was an important part of the Bianca story as a whole in order to go ahead and see her be successful. I thought that the B, the Bailey thing was good. I thought that the Carmella thing was good for what it was worth. And I think that this B, Becky thing will be good for her as a whole, as long as they stick to Becky needs to be the heel. First of all, second of all, Becky to me absolutely turned heel because of the way that she won that match. Yeah. 26 seconds, but it was a cheap shot followed by the manhandle slam that reverberates a lot of different ways. I think that, of course, it's the cheap shot that people view. 
that from a storyline perspective is absolutely brilliant and I fully, fully uh, support. Here's what I don't support, Ross. This is where I draw that fine line. And I'm not going to call it a burial. I'm not going to call it a burial. I'm not going to do that. But I will tell you that Bianca has been your second most dominant women's champion on the roster over the past calendar year. Okay? You had Rhea lose in 17 minutes at Money in the Bank to Charlotte in a really good match, which was a banger. Okay? Why couldn't you do the same honors to Bianca? Why did you have to embarrass her that way? That, that, that pisses me off. It does. Regardless of who is the person that goes ahead and beat her. I would have preferred a heel turn in and of itself right there where Becky just beats her up, beats her up, beats her up, beats her up, and then walks out with no title. Or you give us 10 to 12 minutes and Becky cheats. And, you know, you get heel vibes, but not there yet. It was just like a subtle cheat, but it was a cheat nonetheless. I would have preferred that. 26 seconds, though, is a straight kick to the gonads, to Bianca and to any of her fans that were in attendance or watching SummerSlam. I did not like it. It took me five days to try and see if I liked it. I thought about it and thought about it. I saw the replays. I saw the pictures. I saw the posts on Instagram. Again, this is coming from a Becky Lynch fan. I did not like it. I thought Bianca deserved better. Perf. That's just period. End of story. Am I looking forward to the Bianca Becky storyline? I am because I'm a big fan of both. And I think that going with Becky as the heel is the right move. I think that the perhaps um, end game should perhaps be that Bianca gets the title back at some point in the next few months where she works really hard and gets it back. And, you know, Becky puts her over. I don't know if that's not going to be this, if that's going to be the case or not, but we'll just have to go ahead and see. Um, I was not a fan of the end of that angle and it left a sour taste in my mouth. And I don't know if you can tell by the tone of my voice tonight on the 26th of August, it still left a sour taste in my mouth. And I'll have to watch tomorrow and see how I feel about what, how they go forward. I think that I, I think that they're going to just go full in on the Becky heel turn. If they do, I'll feel a little bit better, but again, 20 seconds is a slap to the face in the same way that eight seconds to Kofi was a slap in the face. And uh, 21 seconds or however long it was, was a slap in the face of Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 28 for, for all it's worth. So your new SmackDown Women's Champion is Becky Lynch. What a contest that was. 26 seconds. And then we had a match I was very, 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 very disappointed in. It was Drew versus Jinder. Yeah, you're not the only one, brother. Um... I can't believe I'm going to say this. Until further notice, they have ruined Drew McIntyre for me. They ruined Drew McIntyre for you? That's they, who they ruined for you? 
they okay. they 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 gotta drop this sword thing. It's gotta go. He is now he 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 is a cartoon character now. Here's the thing, okay? I know what you're saying that that gender just got tossed to the wayside. The argument can be made that they've basically treated him like they did in this match as soon as they had him drop the title. This is this is who he is. Um I could have told you that this is who he's been since Triple H beat him in a match in India. I could say that too. Which, by the way, I'm not saying it's Triple H's fault. I'm simply saying that is the level they see him at, which is unfortunate. Um, He has henchmen again. They're not as entertaining as the Bollywood boys either. I'll say that. They're just there. And maybe I just got too excited that he's back and that he was just going to be an upper mid card guy. But yeah, for me, until until Drew drops the the sword thing, he's 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 a cartoon character to me. Which is sad because I love Drew, but he won. And I don't know where they go with him right now. So Drew wins and I move on with my life. Yeah, I mean, to me, the sword is the least of his problems. Um, but I understand where you're coming from on that, on the fact that you feel that he's basically been made into a cartoon character. I think that he's a shell of what he was four months ago at WrestleMania. I really do. I agree with you 100%. And I kind of felt that way when I was, I was trying to be excited about Drew versus gender. You and I talked about it last week and I made the, I made the case of, if Drew's in an interesting position, if he wins, he buries gender. If he loses, he lost to gender. Why do I say, oh, well, if he loses, he lost to gender? Because you just hit the nail on the head, Ross. You just hit it on the head. He has not been the same person since he lost the WWE Championship to AJ Styles in November of 2017. He just hasn't been. They, 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 he, they took that title away from him. They were like, and you're back down to being Jinder Mahal 3MB just really ripped you know yeah they gave him a u.s title reign in 2018 but what came of that he lost it to jeff freaking hardy to jeff stoned off his ass hardy come on man like it's just disrespectful and now they're they're trying to go ahead and make it seem like oh drew and gender is this big thing and it should have felt bigger but not the way you keep treating gender and now you put drew in this weird ass position um I don't know what's next for Drew. I really don't because he definitely should not be challenging for the WWE championship bands, Bobby Lashley. Well, he also can't contractually. Well, he can't contractually. Oh. Yes. Because of the absolute storyline. Thank you for that reminder, Rastafarian. Um, but then it's like, I don't want Drew to be a heel yet. I don't, I don't think that just because of main babyface character loses the championship, they should go crazy and automatically turn heel. This is not Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins had to turn heel back in 2019 because of the terrible ass booking decision that they made at Hell in a Cell. Okay. And because of the fact that the fiend got so hella over in three months that, and not to mention they made Seth lose his edge, that it was just, okay, this is inevitable. Drew McIntyre is not in that position. 
at all. He is not. He's still a very good, very strong babyface character that should be in an upper mid-card feud that should matter. The gender feud didn't matter. They made it seem like it was going to matter. And Ross, by the end of that match on Saturday, you and I both realized, damn it, it never mattered. Okay? And that's not fair to Drew McIntyre. Damn sure isn't fair to Jinder Mahal. I'll tell you that much right now. I think that the sword is the least of his issues. I think that they need to find a way to make him be relevant in that upper mid card. Put him in a feud with somebody who is important that we're going to see Drew matter again, Drew be of importance, Drew be of relevance. Does that mean put him in a feud with Sheamus again? No, because we already saw that earlier this year. Does that mean that you should put him in the feud with Damian Priest? No, because I just said I don't want them to turn, I don't want him to turn heel. So where where does where do you put Drew right now? Like that's that's an amazing question that I find really difficult to understand and answer. And I don't know, but they need to do something immediately. They need to do something immediately because if not, the crowd is gonna turn on Drew and it damn sure won't be Drew's fault. And I don't want that to happen. Did that make any sense? It did. It did. It's it's a concern I have too, but he's a cartoon character to me now. So. I know, and it, I'd say AJ, have it be AJ, but AJ's tag team run right now has me thinking that AJ's not on the same level as Drew right at this moment in time, and that's a terrifying thing to say. And, I mean, the only person I can think of, and I'm laughing as I say this, I don't know if you can see the smile on my face, Ross, because I, I, I cannot believe that I'm going to say this, but I feel that it would be the same situation as gender, but... I mean, maybe carrying cross, but you just made him a red master shredder and it's not good. Oh boy. Let's, let's, let's not go the master shredder out when carrying cross came out dressed like, yeah. I, yeah. I just... Yeah. He looked like he, he looked like what, what, what is it with like BDM with a helmet? Anyway, the less said about it, the better. Um, if I do have one regret for my previewed predictions show, I should have stuck to my gut. Should have stuck to my gut and said, well, Rhea's not winning the title back, and this Nikki Ash thing is temporary. I should have stuck to my gut and just picked Charlotte because Charlotte Flair regained her championship as she defeated Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley in a triple threat match for the Raw Women's Championship. She won via submission. And uh, what did we say? She's a 12-time champion? Um, 11. She's now an 11-time champion? Yeah. Okay. Um, I really, really wish I would have had the guts to just go through with it because... It's okay. I feel the same way about Damian Priest. Yeah, okay, but here's the thing, though, okay? This is not a shot against you. This is just a shot against in general, okay? You picking Damian Priest to win the United States Championship, kind of inconsequential. Fair enough, fine. I should have gone Styles and Omos. Or, Where, excuse me, RK-Bro. But even then, like, me picking RK-Bro is inconsequential. It just is. Like, Charlotte getting... The heat still on her winning back a title from a character that people, you know, see again, 
fair or not. I told you this before. Nobody cares about the superhero. That's that's very evident. And by the way, because WWE gave up on her, nobody cares about Rhea Ripley. Nobody. Okay. That all said, and by the way, you made extremely fair points. I'm interested to see what you thought of the actual match because Ross, I'm here to tell you that match was so much better than expected. Well, you're, you're singing aside. Um, here's, here's, here's the problem I have with most triple threats. Not all, not all. Let me, let me, let me put that out there now since still the greatest WrestleMania main event was a triple threat match. So let me just, let me just put that out there right now. Okay. Most triple threat matches. It's two people wrestling, one person taking a break. Or it's one person doing a move, somebody else throwing them out of the ring and trying to get a pin. The formula as a whole sucks. It's also hard to get invested in a match when there are 67% of the competitors no one cares about. And I'll even one-up you and say this. Charlotte Flair, I'm not saying last night was the rev, was, was the revelation for this, but in case you needed this revelation, Charlotte Flair is literally been given the John Cena treatment. And by the way, that's not Charlotte's fault. And it wasn't John's fault either. Well, in most cases, not all, but most. And that is any feud going into it, people are going to cheer for the other person because it's not Charlotte Flair. It's not John Cena, which in turn helps John Cena and Charlotte Flair. So it's hard to get invested in a match when there's one person that you're either rooting to win or rooting to lose, and there's two other people in the match. So, me, and I'll be fair when I say this, the match could have been an incredible, epic match. Didn't really care. Wasn't that invested in it. Was kind of just waiting for the finish. If that makes me a bad fan, then I guess I'm a bad fan in this case because I really wasn't interested in it. Because, see, here's the problem. The story is still between Rhea and Charlotte, even though they've all but said Charlotte won the feud. And Nikki Ash was there because she won a briefcase in a ladder match and cashed in and won a match. And she's a superhero. But talk about the goodness that happened to this match. Because again, me, I wasn't really paying attention to it. Well, I mean, that's unfortunate because I think that you missed out on a, a really strong triple threat match and easily one of the top four matches at the pay-per-view in a pay-per-view that had pretty strong matches, to be honest with you. Um I think that to me, they told a really good story, Ross. And it's, it's, it's a shame that you, you, because you weren't invested in it, that you missed out on what I perhaps view as the 
the strong the, the strength of the story. To me, the strength of the story was, especially when it came to Nikki Ash, aka Nikki Cross, um, was that she was trying to prove to her fans and trying to prove to herself that she could hang with Charlotte and that she can hang with a person like Rhea Ripley, who is obviously currently viewed as a pedestal above her, right? Um, and because of that, we saw Nikki get creative. And I think that I've told you this before. When Nikki gets creative, that's when she's at her most. Uh, that, that's what she's at her strongest. I think that she got creative at Money in the Bank. And obviously it showed uh, people getting behind her. And I think that there was a lot of people behind her in this match. Um, although I told you this and you said, and I understood what you said. When you, when you responded back to me, I said, Vegas was completely behind Charlotte for the most part on Saturday night. And you said, well, you know, it makes sense because the crowd has lost interest in Nikki. Well, they never had quote unquote, the interest in Nikki and they definitely lost the interest in Rhea. So obviously they were going to go ahead and be behind Charlotte that, that entire time. But here is the other part of that story. I think it's more than what you said, and I'm not going to take that away from you. I think it's the fact that you talk about the John Cena treatment. And I think you're onto something. And I don't think that you're the only person that thinks that, but I'm considering that you're saying it on this show, I'm going to give you all the credit. I think Charlotte is so gosh darn good. And again, this is the person, this is, I am a man who believes that Charlotte Flair is the greatest women's wrestler of all time. I say it every podcast we talk about Charlotte. I won't get tired of it. She's so good that you forget to hate her and you just have no option but to appreciate the greatness that's happening in front of us. Forget about the title reigns for a second. I'm talking about pure talent, pure athleticism, pure package. Okay. I know that there's a lot of people out there, people that you and I know, Ross, that believe that the best women's wrestler in WWE today as a total package is Sasha Banks. I, I understand that. And I hear them, but they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. They've been wrong. They're going to be wrong. There is no there. They have there is no truth to their side. They're wrong. Sasha Banks is not the best wrestler in the women's division of WWE. Charlotte Flair is the best women's wrestler in the WWE. And I don't think there's a question because what Charlotte brings to the table is this is a specialty. Is it's a certain level of an it factor that Sasha has, but. Charlotte's gotten in spades and anytime that Charlotte is involved in a match that is of substandard quality, she brings out the best in the match. And then the, her opponents at the same time are obviously pushed up to a different level. I think it's a matter of adrenaline that they may have that allows them to have the best performance possible. We've seen it time and time again with people who get in the ring with Charlotte Flair. I've seen it with Sonya Deville, and we clearly saw it with with Rhea, in particular at Money in the Bank. And not only, and then on Saturday we saw it with Rhea and with Nikki. And by the way, that's not taking any credit away from Rhea and Nikki having a great performance. They had a great performance because they're very strong competitors. Period. End of story. But when you're in the ring with Charlotte Flair, it's the same way that when you're in the ring with Shawn Michaels and with John Cena, you just go up another level. Okay. And that happened Saturday night. And so you add in all these different factors of a story of storytelling in the sense that Charlotte's just there to prove to you guys that she's the best and she doesn't give a crap what you think about her. And then you add in the other storyline of Nikki Ash 
does care what you think about her and she wants to be taken seriously and she was going to go ahead and try and overcome everything come hell or high water. And then you had Rhea being this monstrosity of a woman, just whooping all kinds of ass. And by the way, there was one spot where I thought she tore her ACL and I'm very happy to know that I was wrong, but it was scary. She went over the top rope and she landed awkwardly on her knee and it scared me to death. And there was another small spot where Charlotte goes for her wicked um, corkscrew moonsault and kind of Nikki was too close to the barrier and kind of smacked her head against it a little, a little harder than what I wanted her to. Other than that, other than that, Ross, I'm here to tell you this triple threat match was a banger. It was a banger and a half. I thought the three women went ahead and outdid themselves. I think Charlotte and Rhea outdid themselves for money in the bank. And they set a really high standard and a high bar at money in the bank. And that this was, it's unfortunate that Nikki lost. It is, but I understand it. I understand it. But her performance warranted a standing ovation and telling people, oh, damn it, I forgot how good Nikki Cross can actually be. So for all intents and purposes, I really enjoyed this match. And I found some appreciation of the storytelling that was being done in the ring. So Charlotte Flair is your new Raw Women's Champion and uh, the match was uh, about 13 minutes. So we'll see what the fallout goes from there. Now, I know Jorge and I are probably going to debate uh, two of these next three matches. So I got to tell you, uh, Edge versus Seth Rollins did not disappoint. Um, I will... I will say this right now. It was on almost any other show in the WWE calendar. This would have been the best match on the show. I say that with a straight face. I really do. I thought um, the buildup was excellent. I thought the two competitors really showed uh, getting me involved as a fan to really be invested in the storyline. And we talked about this during the previewed prediction show. I wanted to see how the match was going to play out because ever since Edge has come back, other than the Royal Rumble match that he won and other than his first win over Orton, doesn't really have a marquee win as a sing- as, as, since he's been back. If we're being fair. And Seth Rollins is one of those guys that I was like, you know what? This guy, this guy needs to be, this guy needs to be back in the main event scene. Um, sooner than later. And I think people are ready to see him as a baby face again at some point, but we have to get him there first. I'm not saying this match was going to be the genesis of that, but again, lots of things could have come out of this. And this match basically blew all my expectations out of the water. The last Pro Bowl on SmackDown with the bloodbath was uh, shocking. It's not something you typically see on WWE television. And given the direction they were going in, it fit. 
with the suits and the demeanor and where Edge was going. And then Edge came out with the brood music, with the whole entrance. And then, of course, it transitioned into his his actual entrance. But let me tell you something right now. Uh, Music is such an important part of a lot of things. But in the wrestling business, music is really important. Not only for the fans, but for the characters. More so the characters. I get that if you have cool theme music and you do good stuff in the work, people are going to be drawn to you. I understand that because I've ended up liking characters just based off their theme music and that I just got into them and watched more of what they did, grew to appreciate them. So Edge came out with brood music. That was awesome. Seth Rollins came out with his weird thing again. In fact, I think I've decided his gear to the rig. He looked like he looked like a swashbuckler. Yeah, I think that was I think they said that he was kind of going for the sailor thing. Okay. So that would make sense. You go okay. with the swashbuckler mentality. Okay. A little weird, but you know, as much as I are they saying it's okay. What are they saying this whole thing is for Rollins? What's the term they're using? Drip. Uh, oh yeah, the drip god. Okay, but here's the thing. You have two guys that are using the same gimmick. Rollins was doing it before Johnny Mor- John Morrison. Just- Which, oh, and, and by the way, complete side note. Yeah, since we really need a Miz Morrison feud again. Mm-hmm. Anyway, can we just can we just have Morrison go down to NXT and hang out with Frankie Bonet, his real wife? That'd be awesome. John Morrison versus Johnny Gargano. Sign me up. I agree. Anyway, that was my yeah. quick aside. Plus, sure. it would make sense, especially if all you're going to have to him to do on the main roster is feud with the Miz. Next, you're going to have a feud with our truth. Anyway, so as a whole match telling a story, this is right up there with the main event for me. We'll get to the main event, but. If you're talking about two matches that have the complete package, you know, pre-match, build-up, storytelling, you know, prominent babyface, prominent hued, good in-ring work, good storytelling, satisfying finish, and there being something that was going into the match that then leads out of that match. If you're asking for a complete match, you got it with this. You did. And we got the satisfying ending, which is what everybody wanted. And I'm glad they went this route because I was afraid. I was afraid there was a possibility they were going to have Rollins with this match. But given where it was going, given everything they were doing. And I'll say this, and I'll let Jorge echo this. I thought they did a really good job with pacing. Because the the tendency with this type of match is, well, they got to start off hot. It's got to stay hot. And then you've got to find a way to slow it down. And it's got to be believable because then you got to ramp it back up again. 
in order for the crowd to be back in it to believe that there's going to be a finish without being telegraphed. That makes sense. I thought they did a really good job. I don't think there were any dead spots in this match. I don't think there was any point in this match where I'm like, oh, God, this is dragging. I never felt that way with this match. This match in the main event particular. But given what I expected out of this match, I think it actually exceeded it. And that doesn't always happen. And I'm interested to see where this goes, if it goes anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I think your analysis is absolutely on point. You and I talked Saturday night. You called me. You were like, hey, can you tell me a little bit about what I should expect for Rollins and Edge? You remember that? Um, and uh, I told you, I think that this match is going to be right up your alley. And I'm really happy to know that my analysis, at least I think, well, let me ask you this, Ross, the way that I elaborated the match to you on Saturday night when you and I discussed it, did I do a good enough analysis of say of, of giving you the expectations and the expectations that I gave you where they met with everything that I said by the match? So you mentioned a few different questions that I had mm-hmm. and every answer you had for me met my expectations. So fabulous. Yes. Fabulous. That, that, that just tells me that a, I gave good analysis and B you and I were in the same trajectory and the same mindset. I'm here to tell you that I too thought that this match exceeded my expectations and let it be known that my expectations were stupid high. It wasn't like it was in the middle. It's like, oh, my expectations aren't that low. So I can't really be disappointed. No, 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 no. I had the opportunity to be massively disappointed and I was not I was incredibly pleased by the match. I thought that Rollins brought his A game. You talked about the pacing. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what I was thinking when you were talking about the beginning of it, how they kind of were starting off slow? The last thing you wanted to do is to make sure Edge didn't get gassed. That's the last thing you want to do. Because here's the problem with some of these main these legends that come back for, for one-off matches. And thankfully, Edge hasn't been the guy that comes back for one-off matches. Edge has been around for a bit now. And, and had he not torn his tricep last year, uh, I don't think that – I think he would have wrestled a lot more in 2020 than we thought. I'm just going to be real. But he didn't because he tore his tricep or his bicep. I can't remember which one, but he tore his arm. And so because of the, the, continu- the, the continuity that he's had in the ring, it's allowed him to you know, find the pacing and find the fact that he has very little ring rust because he's kept himself sharp and he's also competed with people who have been sharp competed with guys like randy competed with guys like seth competed with guys like roman competed with guys with like like brian and so that has allowed edge to be on the top of his game and putting himself in the ring with the best competition possible that allows him to be to look good but also do his best to make sure that he is hanging with those guys and he did an exceptional job on saturday night the the entrance of him was simply amazing just easily the coolest thing um or one of the coolest things excuse me at SummerSlam. now ross i have to ask you this because now now i know that you said that it, it sounds to me like you're going cena and roman to you the best match of SummerSlam. Now, I'm interested to know, because we're not going to get a chance to talk TakeOver 36 tonight, but we all know what happened at TakeOver 36. We all know that Dragunov and Walter went 
to town on one another in one of in, in from what is clearly being regarded as the best match at takeover 36 and a lot of people went from thinking Rollins and Edge was the best match of the weekend to then saying Dragunov and Walter had the best match of the weekend. So now now you're in, inter- in an interesting conundrum because you actually as much as you love Edge and Rollins it sounds to me like you're going Cena and Reigns. So where do you put Cena Reigns, Edge and Rollins and Walter and Dragunov? in a one, two, three order. So here's, here's, here's my cop-out answer. And it really is a cop-out answer and I don't care. I can't compare the three of them because they're three different matches. I don't view that as a cop-out answer. I think I was, that was the answer that I was expecting. Because, because the thing is Edge and Rollins got very, very personal very very quickly so it was almost like a grudge match but there like it wasn't like a revenge match it was just a match just based in the very simple pure nature of what a pro wrestling feud is true but to be fair dragon off and walter was a rematch that was a grudge match and that got so, personal did not okay so let me get to it which is so that cena and roman has very deep ties that even though they didn't get into it That was a match that involved a little bit of legacy, a little bit of history, a little bit of just the intertwinings of what it means to be the guy for WWE. So there were roots involved in that match. The Dragon of Walter match is one of those matches that literally, okay, This is going to seem like it's not a compliment, but by the end of it, you'll take it as a compliment. Okay. Have you ever seen those movies where you've got two guys that are in a fight earlier in the movie and one of the guys wins and the rest of the movie is the guy who lost making his way back to beat the unstoppable force that beat him an hour and a half ago in the movie time. And in the, and in the finale of the movie, he comes back and he beats him. Rocky three. That, that is what now the reason I say this is because that doesn't exactly sound appealing to some people because it's just a very basic storytelling that has legs. That was a storyline that remember you give the belt to Walter and you have him keep the belt for this long. Eventually your number one question is who's he going to lose to? Well, guess what? When did Walter and Dragunov fight the first time? Um, just a couple of months ago. Did they not? I think it's a few months ago. I thought their first match was longer ago than that. I'll have to take a look. Carry on. The point is that, I think when Walter faced Dragunov the first time, I think they decided that this is the guy that has to beat him for the title. Now, they might not have noted at the time, but they probably went back in time and went, whoa, that. That's something we need to look into. Okay. 
I can tell you when the match was because I'm looking at it right now. I believe it was October 29th of 2020. Yeah, it was an NXT UK uh, episode. That is that is the night where I believe they said Dragonov's going to beat him for a championship. I believe Meltzer gave that a five-star rating. It's pretty remarkable to get a five-star rating with no fans. So that is why my answer is I cannot compare these three fairly because because different wrestling fans are going to rank them differently based on their preferences. And I will tell you right now, they're all very good. I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I I haven't gotten the chance to watch TakeOver 36 yet. Um, I know that Dragunov and Walter went to town and it sounds to me that a lot of people are saying that they had the best match of the weekend and therefore perhaps the best WWE match of the year. But I think that it's, I think it's whatever you feel, right? You know, some people are more used to the storytelling that's done on the main roster. And some people are more enjoyable of the storytelling that's done over in NXT. And I I told you when I, when I told you about the match, that I watched Seth and Edge, and I said to myself, that just entered the discussion of the top two matches WWE as a whole has put on all year long. And I'm here to tell you that that is still the case for me. As of right now, it is one of the top two matches I've seen from WWE all year long. It was great. It was storyline to a T, but Seth Rollins, hey brother, that knee is back, baby. If you didn't think that that knee was back in 18 or in 19, that knee is back. Okay. And Edge, that neck is back. And the story, so we didn't even get a chance to go ahead and let me just discuss this for a second. The storytelling of Rollins wanting to rip apart his neck was so beautifully told, so well done. And Edge was doing everything he could to make sure that he did not get his neck destroyed by Seth Rollins. And Edge doing everything he could to just end the match because he knew that if Rollins got one curb stomp, that wasn't the, vi- that wasn't the match, it was Edge's career. It was done. He was done for. And... Edge pulled out a Glamazon. Edge pulled out execution. Edge put out his pull out his submission. Edge hit a spear. Edge missed the Phoenix. Edge moved out of the way of the Phoenix splash. He moved out of the way out of three different curve stomps, and then he finally ended it with a modified. I I would say more of a modified cross face than an actual cross face because if you go ahead and take a look, he more wrenches in that arm, and it looks like he's doing like a seated out. Um, dragon sleeper, if you will, if you will, as opposed to an actual um, cross face. But by by the way, did it surprise you that the match ended via submission as opposed to Edge hitting uh, a second spear? No, totally no. fits. The st- it, I, it, I agree. It, it actually totally fits the storyline. I agree. I agree with you one thousand um, percent. Overall, this match was at 
this match became a classic. This match, I don't like to use the words instant classic very often, Ross. We rarely do that on this podcast. I think you can agree and attest to that, that we very rarely use that. Do you think that Edge and Rollins entered instant classic territory? I think it did. I think I think this match will be one of the matches that is always remembered from this show. Mm-hmm. And I think that depending on where it goes, we may look back on this match a couple of years from now and really remember this being the start of something special for 2021 for both these guys. Going into 2022, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, so Edge, if you haven't watched Edge and Rollins this weekend, for the love of the good Lord, do yourself a favor. Watch Edge and Seth Rollins. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. Yep. So so Edge wins via submission. And uh, because I want to talk about the main event, we are getting close on time. Uh Lashley defended his WWE championship against Goldberg in a match that ended by a referee stoppage in seven minutes. It was not good. It was the second contractually obligated match Goldberg has for the rest of this year. His son was involved. It was not very good. I really hope there's better things for on the horizon for Bobby Lashley other than Big E trying to cash in on him, which I still have my reservations about because I don't know if that is really the right move, but yeah, this match was not good. Yeah, this match sucked. I mean, there is there is no way to put this, man. And it seems to me, I don't know about you, but does it seem to you like they're going to wait for Saudi? Because they're going to Saudi in October. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Maybe Goldberg is getting an extra contract or an, an additional extension on his contract and whatnot. I, I I, I knew that I could be disappointed about this match. I really ended up being super disappointed. And maybe it's because I gave so much credit to what Drew and Goldberg did at the Rumble. And I was like, oh, you know what? Who knows? Maybe Bobby can get something out of Goldberg too. And just, you could tell by the way that this match was booked. And it, it was just, there was sloppiness all over the place. I was, and like, I was like, please end this match. I got to a point where I was like, I, I'm done. Turn, stop, just stop, just ring the bell. Somebody, I was wondering if Goldberg is actually hurt, stop it. If he's not hurt, somebody hurt him. Put him out of his misery for gosh darn sake. I'm done. And, you know, the whole angle with his son, like nobody gave a crap. And that's messed up because, you know, he's 15. You know, he shouldn't be putting that up and put into that position. And it was just like, ugh. This is just hot garbage of the highest caliber. And by the way, trash isn't garbage. Or excuse me, trash isn't high quality or high caliber. Mm. It sucked. This match sucked. This match. I Okay, Roman Reigns versus John Cena. Yes, it is made event time. Big John coming back to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship, of course. They decided to add the stipulation that had Roman Reigns lost the match, he would quit WWE, which was a little unnecessary for the plot. I understand the promo in which he did it because he was like, I'm so sick of John Cena, but like he put his own career on the line. That's anyway, it's not a heel thing to do, but whatever. Um, 
let me tell you something right now. I had very high expectations for this match. I did. Because Roman's at the top of his heel game. And uh, I was looking forward to seeing what John Cena still had left to be available for him being a part-time guy right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to say this politely, so I will say this. If you think John Cena sucks, you suck. Okay? It's really all there is to it. If you cannot appreciate the greatness that is John Cena, and by the way, I am not diminishing Roman Reigns by any means. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, if you doubted John Cena in a big match, You've had your head in the sand for like 15 years because all the guy does is deliver in big matches. That's all he does. And Roman Reigns in this iteration, which, by the way, not just this iteration, but in general, uh, Roman Reigns in big matches delivers. Now, the matches may not be great, but he he delivers. Yeah, no, no, you're so right on that, Ross. And, you know, I will say, I think most, if not all, fans have finally come full circle on John. Um, But I understand that you're right. If you do think that John sucks, you're an idiot. And you just don't know professional wrestling. You don't respect it. If you think that John Cena sucks at this stage of his career, you just don't respect wrestling anymore. Because you know what irritates me, Ross? That the IWC will crap on john cena and then they wait until kenny omega says something very complimentary about him and by the way which he did kenny omega complimented john cena not too long ago in a in very high regard and that just makes me respect kenny even more um and it just sometimes takes people because this other person said it and it's like okay well fine i'll respect them now because kenny respects him it's like what just respect the man because you respect them. If you don't like them, then you don't like them. Don't wait and to, to be a bitch and go ahead and like him because this other person said he likes him. You're just a, a sheep, which you already talked about earlier on this show. So that all being said, um, the, you know, let me tell you about the times that Roman Reigns has delivered that he had no right in delivering. Uh, Randy Orton and him at SummerSlam in 2014, that match shouldn't have been as good as it was. It ended up being a banger. Okay. Big Show and Edge, excuse me, Big Show and and Roman at uh, Extreme Rules in 2015, Ross. Ross, do you remember that last man standing match? That match was unbelievably good. How could you forget? Yeah. I mean, spears him through the announce table and then flips it on over. And of course, Big Show like chokeslams him through two tables on the outside. That match is awesome. I highly recommend that match. For all intents and purposes, I know that we're not big fans in the main event at 33, but Ron, but Reigns showed up, okay? And he worked with what he had with an old taker. That You know, he did what he could. Um, him, his performance in the Fatal 4-Way at SummerSlam in 2017, unquestionably good. You know, he's had terrific matches with Miz and with Samoa Joe. And he's had terrific matches with Rollins and it goes on and goes on and goes on every single. And of course the AJ matches at payback and at extreme rules in 2016, like 
it just doesn't get any better than Roman Reigns. And when you take a Roman Reigns is at the top of his game, and when you take a greatest of all time version of John Cena, there was no physical way that they couldn't deliver at SummerSlam. And Ross, guess what? They delivered at SummerSlam. Like, I mean, you had to be a dumb-dumb to not think that that match was an absolute banger. Now, I will say, to me, it was the second-best match on the show. But that is that a, is that a detriment? No, of course not. So this match was very, very good. It was pretty much the perfect way to end the show. You know, we had... We had gone through the positives and negatives, the highs and the lows. We got to see John Cena in a main event against Roman Reigns. It was given time. It was an excellent story told. And Roman Reigns beat him. And now we don't know what's going to happen with John Cena because we don't know if this is a one-off or if this is the real thing. And he's going away again for a while. But damn it, we got to see... We got to see a hell of a match and a hell of a way to transition the next stage of Roman Reigns' really impressive Universal title run. We're about to wrap up the show. You know, we're all we're all thinking, hey, SummerSlam was a great show. And then. Well, I got to I got to give this I got to give this my best effort here, given my status Ross do me a favor read out the text messages man (laughs) I'll do that in a second so my my co-host here watched it before I watched it I'll read it I'll read it here in a second the music hits. Everyone loses their minds. Pat McAfee lost his mind. Michael Cole lost his mind. Las Vegas lost his mind. Jorge lost his mind. I called this months ago. Not that I was like a prophet because other people were clamoring for it. Ladies and gentlemen, the return of Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar came out in a beard and a ponytail. He looks terrifying. Let me say this right now. Okay. Brock Lesnar might be one of the most terrifying people on the planet. Okay. Just He's terrifying just because of who he is. Okay. Now you turned him into mountain man, Brock Lesnar, and he's a baby face. Oh, yeah. Okay. Paul Paul Heyman's Paul Heyman's facial expressions were beyond priceless. Roman Reigns is facial expressions were beyond priceless. Okay, so I will I will, I will I will quickly read your text message. It was Ross with seven exclamation points followed quickly by Brock's in Vegas with three exclamation points followed by Ross with 
10, no, with 12 S's and eight more exclamation points, then I need heart medication. Okay. I've talked ad nauseum on this show about people who complain that Brock versus Roman was overdone. And I tell them they really didn't wrestle that many times. And nobody really gave the Roman Reigns being the babyface part of it a real chance. Now, now we get to see Uber heel Roman Reigns against a babyface mountain man Brock Lesnar. This will work. <laughs> like, okay. I will put a guarantee on this show. I guarantee, guarantee that their next match against each other will be the best of the entire feud. I guarantee it. Whoa. Guarantee it. Whoa. That's bold, brother. That is bold. But okay. I okay. So what are we considering is the best match of their feud? It's 31. Okay. Clearly. Okay, but here's the thing though, right? And mm-hmm. remember, I'm going to say this and you know how I feel about that match. Okay. Okay. Most people take away from that match Seth Rollins cashing in. And you know what I say to those people Ross, they're ass. They're just idiots. Well, okay, they're now. Ass-hats. Now, now let me follow it up, okay? Go back and watch that match. Go back and watch it. It was on its way to being a really, really great match anyway. Yes. Yes, it was. But One they had the a best pro- main events WrestleMania has ever had. But they had a problem because they didn't really want Brock to have the title and they didn't really want Roman to have the title. So they found their out and they made it work. And it's one of the better moments in WrestleMania history. It is. And the greatness of that match gets lost. But the reason why I guarantee that the next match they have will be the best of their entire feud is because they have the right dynamics. And Brock's not coming back for BS. He's not. Yes, Brock's all about the money. I understand that. But let me tell you something right now. If Brock's coming back, he's back to do business. Okay. Brock is not going to come back and say, well, unless we do the match my way, it's not going to work. No. Brock's coming back because guess what? When was the last time Brock Lesnar was a baby face? Uh, mid-2015, and then they turned him heel again, which was stupid. But yeah, mid-2015. Okay. So, okay. So let me... Let me rephrase this. When's the last time Brock Lesnar was legitimately considered a long-term option as a babyface? You got to go all the way back to early 2003. Okay. So you're telling me a guy that's been babyface two other times in the last 20 years mm-hmm. isn't going to relish the fact of, whoa, there's this mega heel, Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. He and I have history mm-hmm. and he and I have put on some good matches and I get to be a baby face and I get to be mountain man. Sign me up. Right. 
Because let me tell you something right now. Mm-hmm. You want a physical match. You want a storyline that's just going to just completely make sense and draw down the battle lines that they need to be. And you throw in the fact that these two actually have really good chemistry together in the ring. It will work. And that's right. I'm pulling a Joe Namath. I guarantee this will be the best match of their feud. I mean, we'll have to wait and see, because here's the other thing. You know, we talk about WrestleMania 31, but then, of course, the the the, the iconic fatal four-way at SummerSlam. I mean, I know what you're going to say. Well, does that count? Because it's got Samoa Joe and Strowman. I don't know. I mean, Brock and Roman played a very integral part in that match. It's part of their story. Um, but I, well, I'd, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see whether or not that comes to fruition. I would. So, Ross, I have a question that I want to ask you and we'll end the show. I think it's a very important question. You, I'm wondering if you were going to ask me, but I'll ask it because I, I got to it first. What was the best return of the entire 48-hour time frame? Was it CM Punk in Chicago? Was it Becky? Was it Brock? Or was it me? Okay, well. Hey, don't hurt my feelings, okay? I think I'm. I think I'm going to go four to one here. Number four is Becky Ledge. Number three is you. Number two is Brock Lesnar. And number one is CM Punk. I will take beating Becky Lynch. I really thought that you were going to destroy me and say that I got zero reaction. When, by the way, our SummerSlam preview and prediction show was one of our better listened to shows of the entire year. So shout out to the people for loving me and loving me that I'm back. So I will happily take this victory over Becky Lynch. Thank you. I don't know. I don't know what that says for my ability as a broadcaster. I've been holding this show down for three months. Where have the listens been? I'm just kidding. I'm sure you guys have been listening. The point is. Yes, it is good to have you back. You know why it's also good to have you back? Because yours truly has a two-point lead in the predictions again. Shut up. It's going to get lost. You're not. <laughs> I'm not going to watch WCW 2000, Ross. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, well, You're going to create a TikTok. I'm telling you right now. You know what's going to be funny is what? somehow, Subway, we're probably going to tie, and it's going to mean nothing. <sighs> I'd rather take that than watching WCW 2000. <laughs> Well, I I will tell you that uh, one of these days, one of these days, I'll make you watch an episode with me, even oh, if you, no. yeah, even if you, even if you don't, uh, even if you don't get stuck watching the whole year. That uh, 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 I'm, that's fine. It's one thing to watch one mm-hmm. for an assignment for TDT. It's another thing to have to watch it as punishment and watch fifty two. Excuse me, no. Not 52 episodes. Yeah, no, it is 52 episodes. Mm-hmm. Perhaps over 50 episodes and then throw in a random ass thunder in there. I can't. I can't. I can't. No, I refuse. And, and also give weekly reports. Good times. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, here. Okay. So here's here's what I will say. Here's a very, a very brief moment of impact because I teased it. Um, Buddy Murphy is reportedly supposed to be debuting for impact he will be going by buddy matthews you know since that's really creative i'm excited uh there was also a very very cool rumor which they've 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 kind of been kind of coy with words in the last little bit 
guess who is rumored to be showing up on Impact Wrestling? Who? The one, the only, Adam Schur. Really? Known, that would be killer. Also known as Braun Strowman. But by the way, um, Buddy Murphy's name is actually Matthew Adams. So going by Buddy Matthews kind of makes sense. Yeah. So basically, it's a combination of his WWE name and his actual name. Just yeah. look, it, it's 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 the reason why when when Christian went to Impact, he went by Christian Cage. Literally, this this is this is the reasoning. The first part of it, Christian, was based off of Christian Slater. And the second part of it, Cage, was based off of Nicolas Cage. That's hilarious. That's funny. Since, you know, he's also in another promotion with a guy named Brian Cage, because, you know, that's not confusing enough as it is. Yeah. Are they related? (sighs) Anyway. (laughs) So how about that CM Punk? uh, How about that CM Punk hint? Oh, you mean the fact that he basically teased everybody that Daniel Bryan's coming in or yeah. Brian Danielson? Yeah. Uh, here's here's my very quick thoughts on that. I think he took a moment to stir the crowd up, knowing mm-hmm. that that's been a common chant mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. And I don't know if there's any real validity to it yet. Neither do I. Neither okay. do I. But I'll tell you this right now. Um, I think it's a bit of a stretch. But at the same time, it's uh, it's like um, what's his name from Anchorman? Uh, why am I forgetting his name? Why am I forgetting? Why I don't I know. For- I don't know because there's because there's a ton of people from that movie. So Will Ferrell's name. Why am I forgetting Ron Burgundy? Ron Burgundy when he's talking with Christine Applegate. It's yeah. Okay, I I still don't know the line you're going for there, but sure great analogy that being said that is going to do it for our summer slam 2021 review show what a show it was um next week it's going to be a little tricky we have no idea what we're doing <laughs> we a don't know what we're doing and b my schedule is kind of weird next week so oh, okay. i don't so i don't know so basically, long story short, I have two very short work weeks coming up. Mm. So, and I'm trying to figure out exactly what my plans are. So, TBD is the theme of next week's show. You may or may not be on next week's show is what you're trying to tell me. That's fair. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. But that is going to do it for our SummerSlam review show. Again, you can find the show at wabamentertainment.com. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and all the rest. This has been the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast for the J-Man. I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you on the flip side. Peace.